Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Tonight I bring to this conference the words of an anonymous writer at the end of the first century. And these words ring more true than ever before not just to the apostolic church as a whole, but to each one of us as individual followers of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 6 and 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Right now, while you sit here in this beautiful sanctuary, worshiping God with your brothers and sisters in this blessed nation called America, your brothers and sisters in Ukraine are under attack. Cities and homes, apartment buildings and cultural sites uh, being bombed into oblivion. And right now, your apostolic brothers and sisters have requested the church around the world to pray for them. And uh, I would be, I want to get to the message, but they're holding on to an anchor tonight. And we're holding on the other side of the world to that same anchor. This is a praying district. Would you lift up your hands and call the name of Jesus over Ukraine, over the city of Kiev, over everybody you can think of if you know anybody there. Pray for Pastor Sergey and Pastor Sasha and their families. Lord Jesus, turn back the attacks of the enemy. God, do what only you can do. Preserve your people, preserve your saints, preserve your church in Ukraine and in Russia. Preserve the believers in Russia. Preserve the believers throughout Europe. God, we are here in peace and safety and comfort, but not so for them tonight. But the same anchor that sustains us can sustain them. I speak the name of Jesus. Let warring angels march through the streets of Kiev, through the lanes and the streets and the highways of Ukraine. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ is like an anchor for the soul. The anchor was a popular symbol in the early church 2,000 years ago. If you go to the city of Rome and you go under the city to the catacombs where some of your brothers and sisters from the first century were buried, there are at least 66 pictures of anchors carved into the stone. It was on many tombstones. It was used as an epitaph. It was an indication that the deceased had died anchored to Christ, in Christ. And the anchor was a symbol of hope for those who were being oppressed in that day by that political giant. It symbolized security and strength. You see, an anchor for a boat, it provides something very important. It provides stability and it provides safety. It doesn't matter whether the weather is dangerous or calm. That anchor keeps that boat secure and safe. It's because it's not anchored to the water. That would be a fool's errand. It's anchored to the bottom. It's anchored to something that is secure. And so when the waters are tumultuous and the winds are tempestuous and the rains are torrential. That anchor prevents that ship from being tossed about by the uh, waves of the sea and the winds from the sky. And even in calmer water and in calmer weather, that anchor keeps the ship from drifting away. Our spiritual anchor is wonderful, but it's much more powerful than a boat anchor. (laughs) Because for one thing, we're not anchored downward, we're anchored upward. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) And we're not anchored just to stand still either. We're anchored within the veil. There's a heavenly force that is pulling the church forward and onward and upward. The writer of Hebrews says that our anchor is sure. That means it cannot break. And it's steadfast. That means it cannot slip. No earthly anchor can give you that kind of stability. 
Now the Bible says in Hebrews that our forerunner, Jesus, has entered within the veil. The Old Testament high priest, he went inside the veil one time a year, but he was not a forerunner because nobody could follow him in there. But our heavenly high priest has left a way for us to follow him all the way to streets of gold. There's an old song that we used to sing when I was a kid growing up in the Pentecostal church. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. We are fastened to that rock which cannot move, grounded, firm, and deep in the Savior's love. So I want to tell you something, this great district, all of these churches, pastors and leaders and uh, teachers and feeders, it's just amazing, this great district. The church has an anchor, brothers and sisters. Now it may look on the surface like we are being pushed down and pushed back and pushed aside or pushed around by our culture. Nothing could be further from the truth. What culture cannot see is there's an invisible anchor holding this church secure. I don't care what gets unleashed in this world. We have an anchor and it keeps the church. It doesn't matter whether the winds blow this way or the storm rages this way. There is an anchor that holding on to us. <laughs> oh my goodness. Second Corinthians chapter four, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? Why would God put the great treasure of the Holy Ghost in a fragile vessel made of clay? Here's why, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So Paul looks around in his day at the persecution of the Roman culture against the church, that massive force, that military might, that strong empire that ruled the cultures, not only of the Roman nation, but of so many other nations. And Paul says, we are troubled on every side, yet we are not distressed. <laughs> we are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. And we are cast down sometimes, but we are not destroyed. We always bear about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. You see, take heart, brothers and sisters. Jesus was pushed around too, but he kept going he is our example. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is our anchor that is pulling us to heaven. Here's what Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Watch this. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Look to Jesus. He started this. He's going to finish this. You don't have to finish what he started. He's going to finish what he started. You don't have to bear the burden of his church. He's going to preserve to himself a church. You don't even have to write the final chapter of your own life. If you are in Christ, he's holding the pen to write that chapter. Oh my. Paul says, consider him that endured such contradiction. What is the contradiction? The contradiction is that it looks like the world is winning. That's what Calvary looked like. It looked like the world was winning. It looked like hell had been victorious. And it looked like the devil was in charge. 
but don't let appearances fool you. It looked like Jesus' crucifixion had sounded the death knell of God's eternal plan. But the cross, brothers and sisters, was the biggest ambush in human history. While the devil thought he had won a great victory, he was a pawn on God's heavenly chessboard. Jesus was large and in charge the entire time. Oh my. But I know it's incredibly challenging to recognize that contradiction when you are face to face with the circumstances. It's difficult to believe for your healing when you're still dealing with the symptoms. It's tough to trust God for growth and revival when you've had nothing recently but setbacks and losses. It's hard to have faith for future victories when you're still negotiating the wounds of past battles. It's emotionally stressful for pastors and saints and volunteers in our churches to counsel other families through their little problems while you're desperately trying to cope with major carnage in your own family. And it is spiritually draining for many people in this room to watch day after day for your prodigal to walk through the door when they told you again just last week they're not coming back. But I want to speak to you tonight because this church has an anchor. <laughs> and you have an anchor too. It may look like you are being pushed down and pushed back and pushed aside and pushed around. But while the devil is trying to attack you, what he can't see is that invisible anchor that holds you to the purpose and the plan and the promise of God. Oh my. I know that the winds are rough and the waters are tumultuous. I know that the rains are pouring down on your life. I know you're in the middle of a storm, but in the middle of your storm, if you can just feel around, you'll find it. There's an anchor that's attached to your life. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are not the world's. They don't have the last final say on your story. There's an anchor that holds you to the purpose and the the plan of God. And I got one last thing to say in the hearing of the Lord and his saints and even the devil, if he happens to be listening in, although I think Missouri would give him a heart attack. There is greater power in the pull from heaven than there is in the push from the world. There is greater power in the pull from heaven than there is in the push from the devil. There is greater power in the pull from heaven than there is in the push from culture. There is greater power in the pull from heaven than there is in the push from trials and temptations and troubles and tests. Joseph had the grandest personal dreams of anyone in the Old Testament up to the point of his lifetime. God revealed to Joseph that his brothers, the forefathers of the tribes of Israel, would bow down to him. But like most Bible characters, the road to Joseph's dream was very long and quite rough. Genesis 37, when his brothers saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said one to another with scorn and scoffing and mocking in their voices, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. Let's cast him into some pit. And we'll just say, some evil, evil beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, Joseph, just hang on. It's just a few more chapters. It's all going to be great. <laughs> you do Genesis in two or three, four days of Bible reading. Joseph didn't have your bread plan. 
You have a different perspective on Joseph's life than Joseph did because he did not know the end of the story. For all that young man knew, his dreams had just been shattered forever by the cruel actions of his brothers. For all Joseph knew, he would now live and die as a slave. All that young man knew is that his own brothers hated him so much that they had pushed him into a pit. But while they were pushing him, God was pulling him. Oh my goodness. Oh, Psalm 105. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. If you read the Hebrew of that little phrase in that verse, it literally means iron entered into his soul. And that may sound strange until you remember our English expression. I prayed and the heavens were brass. Joseph felt like he was all alone until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. Here's what you've got to understand from Joseph's story. You can read it in just a few hours, but he didn't have just a few hours. He lived that story for 15 to 20 years. He thought it was all over. What he couldn't see yet was this, that while Joseph's brothers were selling him, God was sending him. Oh my while they were putting him down, God was setting him up. While they were deceiving him, our great God was leading him. While they were lying about him, God was guiding him. They bound his feet, but all the time, God ordered his steps. What Joseph didn't know yet is while they were pushing him, God was pulling him. And there's greater power in the pull than there is in the push. <laughs> oh my. Years later, after Joseph had been pushed into a pit and pushed into a prison and spent most of his young life as a slave, after he was falsely accused and horribly misused, and after being long forgotten by his deceitful brothers, there came a day when God reached into that prison and in one day, he turned it all around. Joseph was brought out of the prison, given a change of garments, brought into the palace of Pharaoh. And you know his story now. And now Joseph is finally caught up to your bread reading that you did in a few hours. And now it came true. His brothers, a famine is paralyzing their country. And when they walk into that palace, they don't know it's Joseph. He's now dressed as an Egyptian noble. He's now speaking in the Egyptian language. They don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph knows it's them. And when they walk in there, they did what everybody else did. When you walked into the presence of the second highest ruler in the land of Egypt, you hit the ground with your nose and your face on the palace floor. Don't you know at that moment, Joseph's dream came rushing back to him and all those sheaves of grain that he'd seen years before bowing to him and the stars and the sun and the moon all bowing to him. Don't you understand that at that moment, Joseph realized something he hadn't seen before. He thought he was being pushed further and further and further away from his dream. And all the time, God was ordering his steps. God was setting him up for a breakthrough. God was pulling him. Genesis 45, Joseph said unto his brethren, they are terrified now. He has revealed himself to them and they're scared. They know he's going to take revenge on them, but revenge is not in Joseph's heart. Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, don't, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. That's an amazing statement. Don't be grieved with yourself. Don't be sad. Uh, I know that you, you, you wanted to, me to die in that pit. You wanted me to die as a slave. You didn't care what happened to me. God did send me before you 
to preserve life. You thought you were selling me. No, God was sending me. A few years later, his dad, who's come to Egypt, dies. And now the brothers think again, oh my goodness, now's the time. He was just doing that for dad. But in Genesis 50 and verse 20, Joseph says to them, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Oh yeah, you pushed me. Oh yeah, you pushed me. It hurt when you pushed me. I didn't know if I was gonna survive when you pushed me. I didn't know what the end was going to be when you pushed me, but while you were pushing me, God was pulling me. I couldn't even see it at the time, but God was pulling me the entire time. Let me tell you, this church has an anchor. I don't care what attacks the devil unleashes. I don't care what the world tries to pull. While they are pushing you, God's pulling you. (laughs) Oh, my, my, my. Lift up your hands and your voice, and your voice. (laughs) Lifting up the hands is biblical and wonderful and proper and beautiful, but your voice is the center of spiritual warfare in your life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Lift up your voice and worship God in this room right now. There's a deliverance for someone here tonight. Take a moment, great Missouri district, and pray in the spirit. Some of you apostolic people, pray in tongues right now. There's a loosing in this room right now. Yes, 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 yes. I don't know what it is you're walking through. I don't know who you feel it is that has pushed you down and you don't feel like you can get up. Let me tell you, there's an anchor rope attached to your life while they're pushing you. God is pulling you. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The little minor prophet, Micah, don't you know there's going to be a conversation when we get to heaven and all the minor prophets are going to gang up on the major prophets and say, what was that about? (laughs) The minor prophet, Micah, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Even when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I know it hurts when life knocks you down, but while you're down there, feel around and find that anchor. Because God has his hand on your life and there's greater power in the pull from heaven than the push from hell. Oh my Oh, this may feel awkward, but take somebody's hand on either side of you if you could. Lift every hand like a choir of worshipers, like a choir of intercessors, like a choir of warriors going to battle, singing unto the Lord. And lift up your voice, lift up your voice in the sanctuary. Yes. Yes. Tonight's your night. You can be healed tonight. Tonight's your night. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. Tonight's your night. You can be restored with your joy and your peace tonight. Yes, 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 yes. Yay! 
Ah, yes, yes, yes. You may be seated. Her name, her name was Jochebed. And her baby boy was born at a time when the Jews had been enslaved by Egypt for over 400 years. Finally, the decree came from Pharaoh that every Jewish baby boy should be killed by being cast into the Nile River. But what the devil meant for evil, God used for good. When Jochebed's baby boy was three months old and she couldn't hide him any longer, she made a little ark and she laid him in the Nile River, hidden among the bulrushes by the shore. And she instructed his older sister Miriam to keep watch. And sure enough, the daughter of Pharaoh, ruler of all of Egypt and far beyond. Pharaoh's daughter came to the river to wash with her servants and she saw that little ark. And when she opened it, right on cue, that baby boy began to cry. And instead of killing him, she had compassion on him. And then right on cue, big sister Miriam stepped out of hiding and she offered to go get him a Hebrew nurse. And that's how Moses' mom ended up nursing her own son when every other baby boy was being killed. Exodus 2 is the setting. Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she, Pharaoh's daughter, called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. It was Pharaoh's daughter who gave Moses his name. It means drawn out, pulled out, rescued. Please hear me tonight. Egypt named him, but his mother had nursed him. It's such an amazing story that the writer of Hebrews, hundreds and hundreds of years later, points to Moses as an example of how our faith in Christ pulls us away from the culture that surrounds us. Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years... He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Here's what you've got to understand. Egypt named him but his mother nursed him. And that's why Moses eventually chose God's purpose over Pharaoh's palace. Because nursing trumps naming every time. It didn't look that way at first. Moses was born a Hebrew, but that heritage appeared to be lost for many, many years. How could a few short months of being taught by his poor pauper mother who lived in a slave's shack ever hope to compete with the many years of being raised by the wealthy daughter of Pharaoh? But somehow, when Moses came to maturity, that early investment of truth prevailed over the later attraction of the world. Egypt and her allures were powerful, but eventually nursing rights prevailed over naming rights. I come to this camp meeting service tonight to speak to a 
parent, a grandparent, a mom, a dad who has agonized in prayer, a brother or a sister who has agonized in intercession. Because when that baby was born in your family, mom and dad, you dedicated that son or that daughter to the Lord. You prayed over them and you taught them truth and you sang them little Sunday school songs and you did everything you could to train them to love God and love his church. But as we sit in camp meeting right now, it seems like the world has kidnapped them and brainwashed them and renamed them. Let's be honest right now. It's bad out there in our culture. Never before has Egypt fought so diligently to name our children. Egypt wants to name them agnostic and alcoholic, apathetic, atheist, addict, abuser, apostate. But just when it feels totally hopeless to you, I want you to remember something. Every moment that you nurse that baby in the things of the Lord... You were tying a rope of intercessory prayer around their spirit. Every moment that you interceded before God's throne, you were wrapping them up in an anchor rope. You didn't birth that child so they could be a drug addict. You birthed them so they could be a Holy Ghost filled child of God. Oh, Jesus. I know, I know. Right now the devil is pushing to drive a wedge between your child and their heritage. He's pushed false doctrine and false hope and false religion and false friends into their lives. Egypt is pushing slavery and peddling sin while they call it liberty. Egypt is pushing their impressive palaces and all you have to offer is the humble home of a Hebrew. Egypt has succeeded in pushing them back to the beggarly elements of the world. And Egypt has prematurely pronounced them ex-apostolic. And right now, your spirit is grieving and Egypt is gloating. But Egypt has forgotten one thing. There's greater power in the pull. Than there is in the push. You pardon me right now, I release the intercessors, the prayer warriors in this churches. I release you to do what you do. I'm almost finished, I won't be long. I release you to pray in the spirit. It will not bother me, it will not bother us. There's something getting ready to be loosed in this service. I want you to remember, mom and dad, a baby in a basket was taken out of the Nile River. He was named by Egypt. His identity, his education came from Pharaoh's house. His wealth, his success came from Pharaoh's house. His language, all of his habits came from Pharaoh's house. He was 100% Egyptian, 0% Hebrew. But something inside of Moses became agitated at a certain point in his life. And Egypt just didn't cut it anymore. The silk sheets and pillows of the palace just didn't bring him comfort anymore. You know what happened? His calling came calling. Oh, let that intercession rise. This is a unique service. Let that intercession rise. All of a sudden, Moses' purpose came to the surface. All of a sudden, in his brain, he could hear his mama's voice singing those little songs of the Israelites. The Word of God began to work him over and convict him. He laid his head on a pillow in an Egyptian palace, but he dreamed of laying in his mother's arms in a Hebrew slave shack. 
Egypt named him, but his mother nursed him. And in the Holy Ghost, I tell you that nursing trumps naming. You hear that? That's an undercurrent of intercession. That's the prayers of a mother who will not give up. That's the prayers of a father that will not be silent. And you know why they're still praying after all these years? Because there's greater power in the pull from heaven than there is in the push from earth. Right now, God is working on backsliders all over this state. Right now, God is sending witnesses into their lives that are going to bring them close to truth. Right now, God is letting discontent enter their mind. Ah, ah. Ah. You say, Pastor Raymond, what you don't know is I'm that person. I'm that person that's down. I'm that person that's out. I'm that person that kind of threw it all away for Egypt, and I've been out there for a season. Let me tell you something. This church has wrapped you in prayers. This church has wrapped you in promise. And so all you need to do is get yourself to an altar in the presence of God, and God can activate his promise again in in your life. Hey, Yadromoshe Sabaha. Oh, keep praying, church. That's beautiful. Keep coming. That's good. Ah. 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 Ah, I'm not trying to curtail anything. When you come, would you come as close to the altar as you can? Make room for people that are going to come up the aisle. That's so wonderful. Thank you. We're going to pray for a moment right now. I'll finish in a second. This prayer is important right now. Lift up your hands, church. Lift up your hands. There's a restoration work. That's happening in the Missouri district. You can feel it around the fringes of every song. You can feel it around the fringes of the messages that have been preached here. You can feel it around the fringes of your worship. There's a restoration work happening. It's gonna blow your mind what God does. Thank you, Missouri. Keep, keep coming, keep coming. Some of you wonderful elders, I know you don't have all the physical strength you used to have, but if you want to come and sit on a seat at the front, we just need your prayer power up here. I've just got two scriptures to read and the only reason I take time to read these scriptures is it's going to instruct us how to pray. Isaiah 43 verse 5 Fear not for I am with thee. 
I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. There is a reaching prayer in intercession. There's a pulling prayer in intercession. Ah. Ah. Yes, 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 yes. Could you indulge me one more time and honor the Lord? Would you take somebody by the hand and pray in the spirit all across this room, all across this room, front to back, side to side, get a hold of somebody and pray in the spirit. There's a work of restoration. God's already at work right now in this district. God's already at work right now in your family. We walk by faith, not by sight. Just because you can't see it, just because you haven't heard about it yet, God's at work right now. He's pulling right now. Ah, yes, yes. I am compelled to read you one final scripture. Everybody that reads their Bible and studies it, they know that Israel's deliverance from Egypt is a powerful picture of the new birth experience in the New Testament. God used blood on the doorpost. He used the water of the Red Sea. He used the supernatural pillar of cloud and fire to deliver them. It was a perfect picture of blood, water, and spirit, repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Deliverance from Egypt was their salvation miracle in the Old Testament. Hear me. But Israel tragically backslid. Repeatedly, they failed God. And they ended up in captivity that really was of their own making. You hear me tonight. But God wasn't finished yet. The prophet Jeremiah, who personally witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem itself, he had a word for the backslider. He has a word for you tonight. Jeremiah 23 and 7. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now that was their salvation miracle when God brought them out of the land of Egypt. But Jeremiah prophesied over Israel that had failed and messed up and tragically failed God. And he said, there's a day coming when they're no more going to describe you as the Lord bringing up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. They're not going to say that anymore. Next verse. But here's what they're going to say. The Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries 
whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Deliverance from Egypt was their salvation miracle. But deliverance from captivity in Babylon, that was their restoration miracle. God spoke through Jeremiah, and he said this, someday people are going to be more impacted by your restoration miracle than they even were by your salvation miracle. I have a word for somebody that you failed God. You're addicted. You're bound. Tonight, you're far from God, and you once knew this. Let me tell you something. There's coming a day. They're not going to talk about the cute little six-year-old boy in the kids' choir at Sunday school. They're going to talk about the alcoholic and the drug addict who strayed far from God, but there was a pull that wouldn't let go. And someday they're going to talk more about your restoration miracle than even your initial salvation miracle. One of you guys run up here and untie that. I want to spread this rope right across this altar. I want everybody that knows a backslider, that can name a backslider, that's been interceding for a backslider. We're going to stretch this from side to side across this altar. I want you to get a hand on it. If you can't get a hand on it, get your hand on the shoulder of somebody that's got a hand on it, and we're just going to pray together. There's sure nothing magic about this old piece of rope, but as a point of contact and faith, we're going to pray over every backslider we can think of in the great Missouri district. There's enough backsliders in this district to overflow every church and every balcony and every event that we have in the state of Missouri. So I'm not just playing tonight. There is a pull of the spirit over this district. God is getting ready to pull some people back home. He's getting ready to populate some churches. Lift up your hands right now. Lift up your voice higher than your hands. They're going to pass through you with that rope. I want you to just get a hold of it. Some of you need to turn around backwards, and we're just going to pray. Doesn't matter what direction you're facing, God's pull is in this service. You don't have to touch that. There's nothing magic there. Touch somebody that's touching it. And lift up your voice right now. Call the name of every backslider you know. Call the name of every person who's addicted. Every person who's bound. There's greater power in the pull from heaven than in the push from this world. Yes. Ah, ah, ah. Yes, yes, yes. spirit. Intercede in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. You are not praying as a beggar from a position of defeat. You are praying as a conqueror from a position of victory. God is at work in your family. Pastor, God is at work in your church and in your community. Hey, boy, oh, say something Ah! 
Yes, 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 yes. If you would take one final word of instruction as we're praying. I'm not being disrespectful. I just want you to reach up and I want you to wipe those tears away right now. It's not because we haven't cried and interceded and groaned in the spirit. That's all good, proper, and wonderful. But I want you to shift gears right now because just as important as crying and weeping and interceding in that way over them, you are not just equipped to entreat God, to, to, to entreat and beg and ask and request. You are equipped to enforce God's kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. You pray in accordance with the will of God. Your prayer is not just entreating and begging. It's enforcing. God, send your angels to do battle. God, I enforce your will. Your will isn't being done right now. I speak it in Jesus' name. Yes, yes, yes. There we go. There we go. That's how you need to start praying over your beloved backslider. I refuse. I lose heaven. I lose conviction. Yes, yes, yes. Get your team ready. Now lift up your hands and with a voice of victory, I want you to pray in the spirit one more time. If you got that rope, lift it up, lift it up. In your face, devil, we're not gonna take this. Yes, yes. Shurai baha they are coming back. They are coming home. They are going to be restored. They are going to repent. They will be baptized. They will be filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, 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 yes. 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 You've prayed beside someone for a few minutes. You prayed alongside of them. You maybe put your hand on their shoulder. I want you to spin around, and if they'll allow you to, I want you to lay your hand on somebody. I want you to lay your hand on their head or on their shoulder, but I want you to face them, and I want you to go praying. This is not, oh, bless us, Jesus. Oh, thank you for a great camp meeting. This is intercessory prayer over them and their family. If you know somebody in this room, and there's a backslider in their orbit, I I want you to go to them right now and pray for them. Don't you cry over them. We'll cry in our private time, interceding. There's nothing wrong with that. Right now, you pray a prayer. Oh my, 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 my. God's pulling right now. Can you feel it? Heaven's pull is in this service. Heaven's pull is in your family. Heaven's pull is on your children. Yes, 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 yes. That's right. Keep praying, Mom. Keep praying, Grandma. Keep praying, Dad. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details. Thank you.